0: The Psalms is a wonderful book to turn to for encouragement and healing words. The book of Psalms is widely viewed as the most popular book of the Bible. So why is it then that we uh, usually keep the Psalms out of core time on Sundays? What I mean by that is that typically in the past, we have had a summer series in the Psalms entitled, not very enterprisingly, Psalms for the Summer. And the idea is lots of people are away and it's holiday time. Or in between the longer series, we have often turned to a psalm or two. And I guess the main reason we tend to preach or teach the Psalms on these occasions or times of year is that they lend themselves to one-off studies or a loosely tied together series with different preachers. Now, without in any way undervaluing one-off studies or summer series in the Psalms, and I don't want at all to undervalue that. It can be very rich. What I am keen to do is to give more core time to the most popular book in the Bible, to this wonderful book of Psalms. And in particular, I'd like us to learn how to pray and sing the Psalms as Christians. Two of the applications that will uh, recur uh, week in, week out will be praying the Psalms as Christians and singing the Psalms as Christians. The Psalms are in the Old Testament. The book of Psalms is the prayer book, the song book of Israel. How do we pray and sing the Psalms as Christians? Now tonight, Psalm 1, next Sunday evening, God willing, Psalm 2, and it's important that we understand Psalms 1 and 2. functioning as a pair. Together, Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, they are an introduction to the book of Psalms as a whole. Now, there are strong thematic links that we will see, but we'd expect to see signals or uh, words in the poetry that indicate they are a pair. So, just look with me in your Bibles at how Psalm 1 begins, page 448. It begins, "'Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked.'" And then turn to the end of Psalm 2. See how Psalm 2 ends. "'Blessed are all who take refuge in him.'" So, "'Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked.'" The end of Psalm 2, blessed are all who take refuge in Him. These two lines of poetry bracket the content of Psalms 1 and 2. They function as a pair. For now, though, let's read Psalm uh, 1. Some of the Psalms we'll read together on Sunday nights. This one I'll read because it is written uh, in the third person. So, this is God's Word, Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruits in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish." Amen. Well, let's pray as we study this psalm. Our Father, two things we ask. First, that you would help us understand what your Word is saying, and second, that we might be affected by it. May these inspired words and the truths they contain raise our affections for Jesus, for His sake. Amen. One of you asked me recently what I mean by the affections, which we uh, refer to a number of times in prayer. What do we mean when we pray that these inspired words and the truths they convey raise our affections for Jesus? What it means is that as a Christian reading and studying God's Word, it engages our minds in a way that raises or heightens our emotions, our reactions, our response, our joy or our sorrow, our longing or our love for Jesus. And the content of Scripture raises our affections for Jesus in line with uh, what we might describe as the effective ingredient of that particular verse or part of God's Word. And, of course, that differs. The effective ingredient differs. You will not be affected by a poem in the same way as you are affected by a New Testament letter. And I guess that one of the dangers is that we make them too similar. You will not be affected by a psalm of lament in the way that you will be affected by a psalm of praise. Scripture is not monochrome, and our emotions and our affections are not monochrome either. Now, there are three headings on the service sheet. Number one, an invitation to the believer. To meditate on the Lord's instruction. That's verses one, two, and three. Now, the book of Psalms is the prayer book, it is the song book of believers. Psalm one is not, I think, meant to be read primarily evangelistically. The primary purpose of the psalm is not to present two ways to live, inviting the reader to choose either the way of the righteous or the way of the wicked. That is not its primary purpose. So what is its primary purpose? The psalm is written to believers. It is written for believers. It is written to invite the believer to meditate on the Lord's instruction, to invite the believer into the book of Psalms, to meditate on these words of God, and beyond that, to invite the believer into the Word of God as a whole, all of the Scriptures. If you're a Christian, this psalm, is inviting you to find delight in and to meditate on the words of God. Now, perhaps delight or serious engagement with the words of God, which is what the psalm means by meditating, perhaps delighting in the words of God and meditating on them is an experience that has eluded you as a Christian or something you once had but no longer have, something you have lost. Listen to these words of William uh, Cowper from his hymn, O For A Closer Walk With God. Where is the blessedness I knew when first I saw the Lord, where is the soul refreshing view of Jesus and His Word? Now, that must be someone here tonight. Always. If that is how you are, let this series in the Psalms bring you back to that place or bring you to the place of blessedness, that close walk with God. Now, Psalm 1 is an invitation to the believer to meditate on the Lord's instruction. And as we'll see, a warning to the believer in verses 4 to 6, not to be taken in by the lure, the enticement, the apparent prosperity of the world. Don't go there, it says, verses 4, 5, and 6. Don't go back. It is apparent prosperity. True blessedness, true delight, true prosperity is found by the one who meditates on the Lord's instruction day and night. And you'll never find true blessedness, delight, and prosperity in meditating on the thought that you will find it by meditating on the Lord's instruction day and night. You've got to do it. It's a very different thing. Now, let's look at the detail of verses 1 to 3, the invitation. Why don't we read them again? Just a few verses. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Blessed is the man. Now, man there is a generic term for men and women. So we might say blessed is the person how do we know that the person being spoken of here is a believer? Well, we know that from the end of the Psalm, verse 6. Just look at that. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The righteous are believers, or believers are righteous. That's what it means to be a believer, to be righteous. A righteousness, not of our own, but given to us. Christ's righteousness given to us. The person referred to in verses 1 to 3 is the righteous person, the believer. If you are a Christian, this psalm is describing you, and you are blessed. The word blessed is a description of Of your status. A believer is someone who is blessed. If you are a Christian, you are blessed. It is your God given status, it is the Lord's description of who you are. It is a statement of fact that all of you who just made promises from your heart, it is a statement of fact that you are blessed. That's God's pronouncement, His benediction over your life. It is how Jesus speaks of believers in Matthew 5, blessed are the pure in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are the pure in heart, and so on. A Christian is someone who the Lord describes as blessed. Now, try to concentrate and get your heads around this. Blessed is the believer's status. Blessed is also the believer's state. Blessed is a description of the believer's experience. That's what Kuyper is referring to in his hymn. Not the status of blessed, which is a fact and never changes, but the state or experience of blessedness. Where is the blessedness I knew when first I saw the Lord? The believer is blessed, their status, that is a fact that never changes, but the believer experiences blessedness, their state. Now, I am the first to say, and you hear me say this a lot from here, that Christian faith is based on facts, not how we feel. You are righteous in the sight of God, not because you feel righteous, but because you are, because Christ has given you his righteousness. But there is a danger, having said all of that, that we go too far and think that we should be suspicious of a Christian, or that we feel that this will never happen to us, that we experience or feel the state of blessedness. The word blessed means happy in the sense of deeply happy and secure in life, secure in death, assurance, soul security. A state of blessedness is to know and experience the peace of God, which Paul describes in Philippians. And this is not a fact. This is not a status. It's a state he describes. Beyond human understanding, peace which guards your hearts and minds in Christ. As a Christian, you are at peace with God. That is your status and you can know and experience the peace of God, which is your state. Blessed is the man, or blessed is the believer. Blessed is your status always. Blessedness is your state sometimes. And as we pray and sing the Psalms, more God-willing than sometimes. The writer of the psalm goes on to describe the blessed person, the believer, as someone who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Dale Ralph Davis, in a great little book on Psalm 1 to 12, listen to the title of his book. It's wonderful, The Way of the Righteous in the Muck of Life. It's great, isn't it? Uh, These uh, statements describe, uh, he argues, uh, the fundamental direction of the believer's life. Firstly, they describe what it's not, walking in the counsel of the wicked, standing in the way of sinners, sitting in the seat of scoffers. That's not the fundamental direction of the believer's life. When someone becomes a Christian, you gave your testimony. When you were converted either in an identifiable time or over a period of time, conversion means turning around, facing in a different direction. The converted person, the one who is blessed, no longer walks in the counsel of the wicked, and that is the way of thinking or the worldview, if you like, the outlook of life that is worldly, They no longer stand in the way of sinners, that has to do with behavior, and they no longer sit in the seat of scoffers, our basic fundamental allegiance. Taking the three together, worldly thinking, worldly behavior, worldly allegiance, that is not fundamentally the direction of anyone in this room who is a Christian fundamentally. The Holy Spirit has the bridge of your life. And the Holy Spirit, when He has the bridge of your life, cannot face in a worldly way. He faces in a Godward way. Now, that is not the fundamental direction of the believer's life. So, what is it? His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. That is the fundamental direction of the believer's life. Now, the key to this is to understand the phrase that occurs twice, the law of the Lord, and then simply the law. What is the law of the Lord in this psalm? What is it that you are being asked to delight in and to meditate on? The word law simply means instruction. The Lord's instruction. It can mean a single instruction or a much larger body of instructions. Which is it here? Is it a specific instruction or all of the Lord's instructions in His Word? Now, I think we are intended to see it here as referring in the first place to a specific instruction in the Psalms. Now, the first time you get an instruction in the Psalms is in Psalm 2. Turn with me there or look over the page to Psalm 2. Psalm 2, you may recognize, is a description of God's anointed king who will destroy the dominion of Satan, who holds the world captive. Psalm 2 is therefore a description of Jesus. Look at Psalm 2 verse 7, the Lord said to me, you are my son. Which are the words? We hear from God the Father at the baptism of God the Son. Mark 1 11, a voice came from heaven, you are my, my son. That's Psalm 2, verse 7. Psalm 2 is about God's anointed king, the Messiah, Jesus. And if Psalm 2 is about Jesus, what is the instruction in Psalm 2 that we are to meditate on and delight in? What is the first instruction in the book of Psalms? Verses 10 to 12 of Psalm 2. Now, read that carefully with me. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Now, listen, this is the tenor of instruction now. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. And then these beautiful words, kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Now, listen again as I paraphrase the instruction. This is the instruction— that we are encouraged in Psalm 1 to delight in and meditate on. Serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling, kiss the Son, and take refuge in Him. That is the instruction we are to delight in, to meditate on day and night. And if Psalm 2 is about the Lord Jesus, then these instructions are about serving the Lord Jesus in fear, rejoicing in the Lord Jesus with trembling, kissing the Lord Jesus, taking refuge in the Lord Jesus. See what's happening? As we meditate on this instruction, these written words, serve the Lord Jesus, rejoice in the Lord Jesus, kiss the Lord Jesus, take refuge in Him. As we delight in that instruction, as we meditate on this instruction, we find ourselves, if the Spirit lives within us, delighting in and meditating on the one to whom they refer, the Lord Jesus. That is true of this particular instruction, these particular words. As we delight in them and meditate on them, we delight and meditate on the Lord Jesus. It is true. And we will experience this as we delight in and meditate on the words in this book of Psalms. We will find ourselves delighting in and meditating on the words of the Lord Jesus. And it's true of all of Scripture, of the whole of the Word of God. Think about it. It is true, isn't it? As we delight in and meditate on the words of God, anywhere in the Word of God, we delight in, if the Holy Spirit lives in us, and meditate on the living Word, the Lord Jesus. You see, the words are synonymous with the living Word. Now, there will be times when our delight in and meditation on the Word of God will move us to, what does the instruction say in Psalm to Serve the Lord Jesus. There will be times when our experience will be as we meditate on the words of the Lord to fear the Lord Jesus. There will be times when we rejoice with trembling. There will be times when we delight and meditate on the words when we Kiss Jesus. Now that's what meditating in and delighting in the Word of God leads you and I to do to kiss Jesus, to embrace Him, to be kissed, to be embraced. That is intimate but not for a moment inappropriate or irreverent. Psalms are full of intimacy. Taste and see that the Lord is good. My soul longs after you. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. My soul longs, my soul faints, my heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God and thirty-eight times, I love you, Lord. Our delights in and meditation on the Word of God will move us to kiss the sun and take refuge in Him. Let me just say a little about the word meditate. When did you last meditate? You know what it means? It doesn't mean take your 10 minutes in the morning with a Bible verse and put it through a mangle. This is what it means. It means to moan, to hum, to mutter, to speak, to muse. Some of you are thinking this is a dodgy sermon. He's talking about not simply our status, but our state. He's talking about Kissing the sun. He's talking about moaning, humming, muttering, speaking. That's the language of poetry. It's not an epistle. The picture we get is of someone poring over the word, re-reading it, half aloud, total concentration, total engagement—not just a mental activity, but an appropriation of the word. Do not read the Bible because you know you have to. Read it because it is the food that God has provided for your soul. The means whereby you can get to know God. Read it because it is the bread of life, the manna provided for your nourishment and well-being. In his book, Knowing God, Jim Packer, reflecting on how we can turn knowledge about God into knowledge of God, says this, the rule for doing this is demanding but simple. It is that we turn each truth that we learn about God into a matter of meditation before God, leading to praise and prayer to God. And we are to do it day and night. That doesn't mean to say 24-7 Bible reading or really long devotions. I'm always suspicious of 24-hour prayer meetings. I shouldn't have said that. (laughs) It doesn't mean any of that. This is what it means. Two minutes in your quiet time, taking a verse and returning to it again and again throughout the day, bringing it to mind, Bringing Jesus to mind as you bring the words of Jesus to mind. Reflecting on it, praying about it. Sharing it with someone. Texting it to someone. Constant consciousness of the Lord Jesus. One of the things we did when I was young was memory verses. Verses why do we not do them anymore? You learn them as a child, and they come back to your heart and soul ever after. Why not try it this week? Ten minutes quiet time each morning or evening, or even two minutes. Focus on a verse. Take that verse with you throughout the day. Meditate on it through the day. Think about it. Pray about it. That's what the psalm is inviting you to do. And what does it lead to? Verse 3, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Like a tree planted, planted. Remember the Christmas tree we had outside? It's got one big base on it, spiritual stability. Boring, solid Christians. Planted by streams of water, spiritual stability. Vitality, literally bubbliness, that yields its fruit in season, spiritual productivity, its leaf does not wither, spiritual durability. You can tell I got this bit out of a book. In all that he does, he prospers, spiritual prosperity. Andy Robertson would love that. It's a great picture, isn't it? Stability with spark. That's the description of the righteous person. Stability with vitality, both together. We often see these characteristics against each other. Stability and vitality combined is a powerful thing. An invitation to the believer to meditate on the Lord's instruction. That's the invitation at the start of the book of Psalms. That is how you find delight in the Lord, that is how you kiss. Jesus That's a blessed life. It is a blessed status and a blessed state. Now don't be taken in by anything else you hear. That's what he's saying verses 4, 5 and 6. Don't be taken in by the siren noises of the world and the apparent prosperity that is to be found doing anything other than this. That's what the psalmist is saying. The wicked, the world, is not so. It's like chaff that the wind drives away. Contrast, verse 3. He is like a tree, one line of poetry, planted by streams of water, two lines, that yields its fruit in season, three lines, its leaf does not wither. For in all that he does, he prospers. Five lines. And then chaff that the wind drives away. A one-liner. Everybody, in the end, Christian or not, will testify that the apparent prosperity of the world comes to Nothing. The only way is the way of the righteous. Now, here's the warning. Do not meditate on the warning hypothetically. Listen to Dick Lucas, aged 92, uh, a minister in London that some of you will know. I feel, he writes, aged 92, to all intents and purposes, one of the most godly, righteous people I have ever met, I feel, he says, that we feel confident that there is no danger of us returning to the way of the world, that there is no danger of falling away. The only way we can be sure we are not listening to these compelling siren voices that take us and deceive us unawares Unless every day we are delighting and meditating on the words of God, and thus delighting in and meditating on the Son of God, and even kissing the Son. Now that has taken us through the Psalm, and finally, as we close. Here's the question. Does the psalm describe you as a Christian? I have made that assumption all the way through, that it is a description of you if you are a Christian. The psalm is written in the third person, not the first person. Who is this righteous person? Is it you? And you're going to say, no, no, he's going to get to Jesus now before we do, is this you? Yes, 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 yes. Really? The overall direction of your life may not be walking in the counsel of the wicked or standing in the seat of sinners or sitting in the seat of scoffers, but don't you have a foot in that camp or two? Delighting in the Lord's instruction? Meditating on the Lord's instruction day and night? Spiritual stability matched with spiritual vitality? Are we never taken in by the way of the world? So can we pray? How can we sing the psalm with integrity? Now how can we pray? How can we sing this psalm with integrity? Here's one answer. No, we can't. Jesus can, so trust him. How can we sing this psalm with integrity? Here's the glorious answer of the gospel. Because Jesus, the one who alone is perfectly righteous, gives us his righteousness. These words are sung in perfect pitch by the Lord Jesus. He gives us His righteousness so that we can sing these words, not yet in perfect pitch, but one day in perfect harmony with the Lord Jesus. Jesus. Gives to us at conversion what? One, the status of righteousness. Jesus gives to us at conversion, two, the state of the experience of righteousness. We walk no longer in the flesh, but in the spirit. And every day, we are being changed into the perfect righteousness of Jesus. Now, I'd love to spend longer on that. We'll come back to it maybe in Psalm 2 so it's clear in our minds. Here's the truth. We've been saved. The righteousness of Jesus has been given to us as our status. In the new creation, our experience will be perfect divine righteousness. In the Christian life, our experience is increasing righteousness because the righteous aliveness, if you like, of Jesus has been imparted to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. So, with the Lord Jesus inside you by the Spirit, you are invited into the book of Psalms to meditate on, to find delight in these instructions, and thereby to find delight in and meditate on the Son, so that you live in godly fear, so that you kiss Him. Embrace him, are embraced by him. And that's some invitation into this book of Psalms. Now, right at the beginning, I said the primary purpose of this psalm is not evangelistic, it is written to the believer. Inviting them into the words of God and thereby into a deepening relationship with the Son. You know, I often wonder why just at the end of a sermon, when you all know what's coming now, the primary purpose doesn't mean so concern. There's a kind of audible shuffling. I wonder sometimes, given we're on this kind of ground tonight, that if the Holy Spirit is active in people's minds and hearts, the devil tries to distract him. The invitation is to the righteous But the invitation always is there for the unrighteous to kiss the son who kissed this guilty world in love and kissed you by forgiving your sins let me close with the end of the psalm therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked. You fill in the last words. We'll perish forevermore. So come and kiss the sun. Let's pray. Father, we pray that the the depth and the uh, breadth of this psalm that we have kind of wrestled with fitfully tonight will sink into our minds and hearts. We pray, Lord, that as we delight in and meditate on your words that we will find ourselves delighting in and meditating on your son growing to fear him more growing to delight in him more growing to rejoice in the Lord more taking refuge in him more and finding that intimate intimate godly holy relationship with Him. And Lord, for any amongst us here tonight that have lost what it is to delight in Your Son, or think on Him, to muse, to mutter, to mourn, we pray that You would bring that back or bring them back into Your Word, that they might relish it as their habitat. And for any, Lord, who have not yet come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, if they are doing so now, we pray that they would reach out and embrace the Son who embraces them. In forgiving love. For his sake we ask. Amen.